primary scripture this morning comes from the 92nd Psalm, verses 1 and 2, and it says this. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night. Amen. Amen. We're glad to have our visitors this morning. Turn to two or three people around you and tell them how glad you are to see them today. Welcome our visitors. It's great to have everyone here.
rafters and sing it to the Lord. Just sing it to the top of your voice. Let's sing. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Now, before the kids go out for Kids Corner, I want to recognize our dads this morning. So if you're here, you're a dad, you're a father, I want you to stand up. Everyone, fathers, all fathers, stand up. Let's give a big hand. Come on now. Come on. Yeah. Here we go. All right, guys, you may be seated. All the kids uh, 10 years and younger may go out now to Kids Corner. And Brother Bill, it's all yours. Amen. Happy Father's Day to you, if I haven't said that already. It's good to see everybody. What a wonderful, wonderful congregation. I'm glad that you're here today. And I pray that you're going to spend some time with Dad if you can. Uh, and if not, then I pray that you're going to be thinking about him. Thinking about some wonderful, wonderful memories that you have with your father. As you know, and as you can see, I pray, uh, we are still in the midst of constructing Christian character. Uh, this is a construction zone for the next six or eight weeks. And I just pray that, uh, that you're just going to allow the Word of God to do a mighty work in your life as He begins to build Christian character in your life or to add to the Christian character that you already have. In 2 Peter chapter 2, the Apostle Peter makes it absolutely clear to us that while we are exercising our faith in Jesus Christ, that we are to be becoming morally excellent. And while we're becoming morally excellent, the Word tells us that we are to be increasing in knowledge. While increasing in knowledge, we are to develop self-control. And while we're developing self-control, we will build up our perseverance. Now, while we're building up perseverance, we'll be growing in godliness. And as we're growing in godliness, then we will also be willing to add brotherly kindness as we're adding brotherly kindness, you will then begin to see that you will magnify Christian love. And Peter says that if these traits are ours and they are increasing in our lives, the Word of God says you will then be productive and then you will then begin to be useful in the kingdom of God. So, to construct Christian character... The Word says that we begin with salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the foundation of our character, our Christian character. To that foundation, we add moral excellence, which is the building block of separation. To that building block, we then begin to add the building block of sanctification. And today, you're going to see that we will add the building block of service. The Word says that we're to add self-control, which is the building block of service. So first, you are saved. You are saved by staking out that you are God's property. You stake out that you are God's property by stating that, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved. Amen. 
then as God's power comes into your life, you will then begin to separate yourself from the sins of this world and separate yourself unto God. Then as you begin to grow in the knowledge of the truth, you will then begin to become set apart. Set apart, becoming free for God to use you in his kingdom and for his glory. Sad thing is, is that many Christians stop right there. Yes, they're saved. Yes, they are separating themselves from the sins of this world. And, and yes, they are becoming set apart, free to become a positive influence for God. But today, God wants you to consider self-control, the building block of service. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and read some familiar verses with me that the Apostle Paul wrote to Christians. He wrote this to the church at Corinth, and he writes in verse 24 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he asks, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run, therefore, in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or is self-controlled in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should not become disqualified. Let us pray. Father, your children come before you this morning asking you to teach us through your word how we can be self-controlled. Lord, I pray that your word will speak to us in a mighty way. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Did you notice there that Paul was explaining this concept of self-control by using, by pointing to, illustrating with what we know as the Olympic Games. Now, Many of you know the Winter Olympic Games. They, we see athletes skiing. We see them sledding. We see them skating. All so that they might get the gold medal. In the Summer Games, we see athletes compete as they run, jump, ride, shoot, swim, dive, throw, lift, vault, wrestle, box, and cycle their way to becoming the very best they can be in their particular sport. But you know what we don't see when we watch the Olympics is we don't see the extensive preparation. We don't see the unbridled, incredible discipline and the self-control that's required to even compete at that level. Those who are awarded the gold, the silver, and the bronze medals at the Olympics, they stand upon the, the winner's platform all because they exercised self-control. 
So what is self-control? Well, for the Christian, self-control is the power to control our fleshly desires and to exercise God's will in our life. That's what self-control is. It's holding, bridling the, the personal desires and exercising God's desires for our life. Those who win in this Christian life that we're a part of, they will understand and they will exercise self control. Now, uh, if you think for a second, okay, I'm going to include this building block of service and I'm going to add some self-control into my life and I'll be good to go. If you're thinking like that, you will fall flat on your face because you cannot have this self-control unless God is involved in your life. You cannot have this self-control because only God can produce it. And you also need to know that it's a process. It's a process as we grow in self-control. You've got to begin by faith. Trust in God. Then you've got to add to that faith moral excellence. And then you've got to add to that moral excellence knowledge. Then and only then might you be able to exercise self-control? Now, I'm sure that there are days when the Olympian wakes up in the morning and he don't want to get out of bed. But you know what? He gets up anyway. I'm sure that there are days when the Olympian wants to eat some stuff that, aren't, that isn't on his training diet. But he's got the self-discipline, the self-control to say no. Why? Why has he got that kind of control? Because he's willing to train in such a way that he might win. That he might win in that sport. And we also need to be training in such a way that we might win. The Olympians will train so that he might stand in glory upon that top platform and have that gold medal draped around his neck. But for the Christian... We want to be self-controlled. We want to be able to, we want to be willing to discipline ourselves so that we can bring glory to our Lord. Can I tell you, he deserves it today. He deserves it. But I got to tell you this, there is absolutely no doubt, my friend, that there is a struggle for self-control. It's a struggle. So let's look at the struggle for self-control. In the book of 1 Thessalonians 5.23, the Apostle Paul writes again this, he says, now may the God of peace sanctify you completely and may your whole soul, spirit, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it was Paul's prayer that, that believers be set apart entirely, mind, body, and soul. See, God created us as a spiritual being. How many of you know that you were created as a spiritual being and that you are housed in this fleshly body that you're living in today? Friend, you need to know first and foremost that you are a spiritual being created by God and housed in this fleshly body that he also created. Now, he also gives us a soul. Our soul is the will, is the emotions, 
and the mind that we have been given to govern this fleshly body. Mind, will, and emotion. That's where the challenge comes in. Because, friends, within uh, this human race that we're a part of, because of sin, we are spiritually dead at birth. But because of Jesus Christ and what he did on Calvary's cross, then those who believe in him can be spiritually alive. But here we are. Spiritual beings still in this sinful, fleshly body. And this sinful, fleshly body needs to be controlled. It needs to be controlled. Now that we are, as Christians, spiritually alive in Christ, we must begin to allow Him. We must permit Him. We must even ask Him to influence our mind where we think, to influence our will where we decide, and also to influence our emotion where we feel. We want to ask the Lord to influence us for his glory in all those areas. Now that sounds real simple, don't it? Just ask him and it'll happen, right? Well, that's not completely the story. Here's the problem. Here we are, still in the fleshly body. Still influenced by sin. Still in this fleshly body that leans daily towards sinful activity. And we have to learn to control self. One of our most difficult struggles in controlling self is, is this area of the will. That area of the will where we make our decisions. See, regardless of how much the Christian wants to be set apart for the Lord. Regardless of how much you want to live for Him, you still want to do what you want to do. Amen? Let me rephrase that. You still want to do what you want to do. Amen? You know it's true. Sometimes we'll even go about rationalizing wrong actions so that we can do what we want to do. Let me ask you this question. What does a child do when he don't get his way? Anybody know? Fathers? He throws a tantrum. That's right. He throws himself a little hissy fit, don't he? Let me tell you about a, a preacher I read about who boarded a flight to Atlanta. And he was seated next to this gentleman and right behind an Indian family who had a two-year-old child. Now, this two-year-old boy was wild as a billy goat and screaming at the top of his lungs. Everybody was looking down the aisle as if to say, somebody needs to control that kid. The child continued screaming, continued bouncing off the walls, and then all of a sudden, this man sitting next to the preacher leaned over to the parents and said, you better control your kid. Again, you better control your kid. That boy kept on screaming. That boy kept on bouncing off the walls. And that man started kicking the seat that that little boy was sitting in. And he kicked it once. And he kicked it again. He kicked it harder. He kicked it over and over and over again. He kept kicking the seat that kid was in until finally the stewardess comes over and told him, 
that sky marshal will be meeting you at the gate. Here we got a man in his mid-30s throwing a, a hissy fit because he didn't get his way. You see, when the will is out of control, when the will is out of control, you'll throw a tantrum. You throw yourself a little hissy fit. Even a Christian will throw a little hissy fit. Even a Christian's will can get out of control. It's a little bit different, though. I don't know that y'all would kick the seat of a child, would you? Much. <laughs> but let me tell you what I think you might do. You might say, I don't have time to serve the Lord. Or, I can't teach. I'm no good with kids. You might say, I know God wants me to use my gifts and abilities, but I don't want to. I know God says I shouldn't, but I'm going to anyway. I'm right, and you know it. Bless the kicking and whining, right? You see, when the will is out of control, Christian, I'm speaking to you today, when the will is out of control, there will always be a struggle. You'll throw a tantrum, and you'll throw a hissy fit because you ain't getting your way. But emotions can be a struggle for us too. When the will gets out of control, you throw a tantrum. But when your emotions get out of control, it leads to lust. Now, the first thing that you thought of when I said lust is you thought of a sexual emotion, didn't you? Didn't you? Yes, you did. I know you did. <laughs> but lust is not just a sexual emotion. When emotions are out of control, you'll likely experience things like Greed. It's my money. I'm keeping it. You'll experience things like anger. Did you hear what she said about me? When your emotions are out of control, you may experience things like unforgiveness. When your emotions are out of control, you may experience jealousy. When your emotions are out of control, you may experience indifference. You know, I just don't care. When emotions are unrestrained and our will is out of control, you're out of control. And your Christian testimony then becomes totally ineffective. Can you imagine an unbeliever seeing you throw one of those little hissy fits that I just talked about? Friends, it's a struggle. I know it's a struggle. 
But we must develop self-control. How can we develop self-control? Well, the good news is, is that because God lives in the believer through the Holy Spirit of God, because God lives in the believer, we've got the ability to produce self-control. That's good news. Turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Let me show you what the Word says, that the believer has the ability to produce self-control. In Galatians chapter 5, in verse 22, the Word of God says, But the fruit of the Spirit, that is the evidence that God is in you, the evidence that the Spirit is in you, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and say it with me. Self-control or temperance, some translation may say. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Friends, if we live, say live. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk. Say walk. Walk in the Spirit. As Christians, we have the ability to produce self-control. And God primarily uses your conscience to develop self-control. As a believer, the Word of God says that your, your conscience is in one of two conditions. You either have... A clear conscience, that means you're likely living by the principles of God's Word, or you have what is called a seared conscience. And a seared conscience is caused by giving in to sinful living. Paul wrote to his young apprentice Timothy, and he said, the purpose of my instruction is that all Christians there would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart and a clear conscience and a sincere faith. You see, a clear conscience enables the Christian to be filled with love for God, but also to be filled with love for other people. But that seared conscience, that seared conscience, it don't have no feeling. It really don't have any feeling for God, and it don't have any feeling for other people. What it is is you kind of become numb by your own sins. Listen to what he wrote to another place in Timothy. He said, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. He wrote to Titus saying, everything is pure to those whose heart is pure, but nothing is pure to those who are sinful and unbelieving because their minds and their consciences are seared, seared by sins. Here's the bottom line, friends. We got a decision to make. We've got a decision to make if we want self-control in our life. We must decide, will our consciences be clear and clean? Or will our consciences be seared and sinful? It's a pretty easy choice, really. One or the other. 
But there is another question that's involved with that. Whatever way you choose, what are you prepared to do about it? If you want your conscience to be clear and clean, what are you prepared to do about it? Only when we submit fully to God, only when we allow Jesus to be the boss of our lives, only then will we have the ability and begin to experience God-driven self-control. That's what we're looking for. God-driven, say that with me, God-driven self-control. That's what we're looking for. So, all right, Brother Bill, I get it. Now, how do I get it? How can I develop self-control? I'd like to give you six quick ways. Six quick ways where you can develop self-control. The first of which is you got to learn to give up control. Guess what? I got seven of these in my house. I counted them. I got seven of them. In my house, I am king. In my house, I own all seven remotes. I am the boss of all. But to truly be self-controlled in my life, Got to give God the remote. I've got to give God the control. I've got to place my remote in his hand. I've got to say, Lord, I'm no longer in control. I'm no longer in charge. I give you the control. I'm not the Lord of my life, and I'm no longer the master of my way. To be self-controlled, friends. To be self-controlled, you've got to confirm that God is in control. So that's the first way. You've got to give up control to be able to develop self-control. The second one is be willing to ask forgiveness. The best way to get a clear conscience is to go and deal with someone who you've wronged. Your consciences won't ever be clear. They'll never be clean until you're willing to go to them and say, I was wrong and I'm sorry. No buts. I was wrong and I'm sorry. Sometimes to get a clear conscience, you have to be willing to offer forgiveness. Even if you've been hurt, you've got to be willing to walk with God and be willing to forgive. Number three, to develop self-control, you've got to flee temptation. When you see sin coming, duck! Am I right? Don't let it hit you. You see it coming, duck! When you sense temptation, go the other way. Run if you gotta. Pay attention. And you know your weaknesses. 
You know the areas of your life where, you're, where you are vulnerable to sin? Go the other way. Whatever it is that Satan has a foothold in your life, then you need to learn to escape. That means you're going to have to have a plan. A plan of escape. I've read that every temptation has a small little window of decision time. It may be only half a second. It may be three seconds. But you need to take that time and learn to escape before the temptation even hits. Number four, to develop self-control, you've got to be willing to adopt high standards. If you're going to have self-control, if you're going to achieve self-control in your life, you've got to make up your mind that you're going to win before you go into the war. Right? Make a plan. How can I win before I even get into the war? you got to decide which way you're going to go before the temptation even hits. you got to know which way you're going. Adopt the high standards that we find in God's Word. Number five, to develop self-control, you've got to learn to resist the bait. Resist the bait. This world, friend, is constantly trying to attract you. It's constantly trying to attract you to activities that will control you. Alcohol. Drugs. Pornography. The internet. Other people. Some prescription medicines. trying everything they can do to get you on the hook. Because when they got you on the hook, the world's got control. The lure of sin is all around us, friends. Learn to refuse to take that bait. Number six, you want to develop self-control? Why don't you fall in love with Jesus? Be in love with Jesus more than you are with anything in that old world. Love Jesus Christ the most, and then everything else will pale in comparison. Self-control ain't easy. It's not an easy part of the Christian life. It ain't easy for me. There are times when my emotions, there are times when my wills, they get out of control. But when I strive to walk in these ways, when I strive to keep my eyes heavenward, it's just amazing how much easier the battle becomes. There's a struggle for self-control. And I pray that that's helped you to develop self-control. But what in the world has self-control got to do with the building block of service? Anybody else ask that besides me? What's self-control got to do with service? Well, the outcome of God's control is service. Service. 
When God's in control of your life, that's the result. Service. If you're in control, that's going to lead to selfishness. If you're in control, that's going to lead to serving self. But when God's in control, and when you're allowing him to control your mind, when you're allowing him to control your will, when you're allowing him to control your emotions, now you're released to serve other people, not just yourself. Turn with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5. I've got to let you see this as well as hear it. It just blew my mind. I've read this verse I don't know how many times, but boy, it sure stuck. Sure stuck with me today. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. Again, Paul's writing to Christians, the church at Galatia. And in verse 13, he says, For you, brethren, for you, brothers and sisters, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, Serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, after you're saved, you're set free from the bondage of sin, friend. You're set free, but you're not free to do anything you want to do. Paul says that freedom in Christ is going to lead us to love one another through, say it with me, Paul says we're to love one another through love one another through service. And can I tell you, and this is just a little brother Billology for you on Father's Day, amen. I believe the greatest service is serving children. Why? Well, first of all, did you know that if a person doesn't become a child of God, become a Christian by age 18, the statistics say they likely never will? Serving children. See, a child's heart finds it real simple to say, I love you, God. But adults have a fit saying that. They have a fit saying, my heart's just open to you. Will you come into my heart? But when a child says, Jesus, will you come into my heart? You know, that's exactly what they mean. They want Jesus in here. It's just real simple to a child. I mean, you get an adult who has been crushed by the the hurts and the pains of this world, they find it real difficult to say, Jesus, will you come into my heart? It just sounds too simple to them. But there's a second reason why I think that serving children is the greatest service. And that is that affecting the lives of children for the cause of Jesus Christ is the most rewarding and positive way to literally Affect the future. 
Would you like to literally affect the future? Your future? This church's future? Our country's future? This world's future? The greatest service of serving kids. Never underestimate the importance of serving children. And today, on Father's Day, I want to speak to men for a moment. Men, are you looking for something to fulfill your life? Do you know that a lot of men struggle in that department? Finding fulfillment in this life. Do you want to be fulfilled in this life? Serve. Serve. And men, the greatest place that you can serve is serving children. Here at Bethel and at the church as a whole, It is grossly negligent the number of men who serve children. Here at Bethel, we have four. Four men Serving children. Four. Man, if you can say no to serving children, one of two things is probably true about you. One, God may not have called you to serve children, and that may be so. But I'll tell you this. He may not call all to serve children, but he calls most And the second thing that's probably true is that you are in so control of your own life that you don't even hear God hollering for you to serve children. When God's in you, when God's in control, men, you will become an influencer. You will make an impact you will make a difference. You ain't got to be a master theologian. Why, you ain't even got to be smart, right? Got that right, Brother Bill. Look at you. Just be a servant. You ain't got to be rich. You ain't got to be loaded. Just be a servant. You ain't got to be perfect. Goodness knows. Look at our pastor. Just be a servant. Just be unashamedly committed to Jesus. Just be living under the control of the master and serve. We do need some loyal men. Loyal men who have self-control to serve our children. And so many of them, listen, 
So many of them don't even have a daddy. They don't have a daddy. But every single one of them need the influence of a godly man. They need a servant who will love them. They need a servant who will lead them to Christ. Teach them how to walk with the Lord. Show them by example. So today, this invitation is going to be a little bit different. Because we've got a lot of men here today. And I just want to ask you, would you be willing to say yes, Lord, to service? For children? Would you be willing to say that cross training thing on Sunday night? I'm like Brother Bill, I ain't so smart, but I can do that. I can serve children. Awana's coming up next month, believe it or not. Well, August. I can do that. I can come on Wednesday nights. Kids' Corner. There's a good one. You know, once every other month, I can take the tribe of Indians. I can teach them a lesson. I can do it. Children's Sunday School. So many times, the church, and I think it's just a mentality issue, we, we, we just kind of say, you know, the ladies ought to be teaching kids. That's wrong. That's not true. Not just ladies. Men, too. And I'll tell you this, we need some men teaching our kids in Sunday school. Add to your faith moral excellence. And to your moral excellence, add knowledge. And to your knowledge, friend, add some self-control. The building block of service. To be self-controlled, you got to first confirm that God is in control. So I want you to look inside today and ask yourself, God in control? Or am I doing what I want to do? I want to ask you, will you unselfishly, if you're not a Christian, will you unselfishly give yourself to the Lord today? Will you unselfishly give the Lord control of your life? That's all he's asking. He's saying, I want to be the boss. I want to give you everything that you deserve, everything I want to give you. I want to give it to you, but I'm not going to do it unless I'm the boss. Are you willing to do that today? Are you willing to recommit yourself to service? Recommit yourself to the control of God. Are you willing to do that today? And men on Father's Day, no greater day to say, I'm controlled by God. And I am going to add this building block of service 
to my Christian character? Will you serve children? You let the Lord do the speaking. You just do the listening. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you serve us. That Lord, when you didn't have to save us, you did. When we were immature children living in rebellion, living in our own sin, you didn't have to, but you came down and you served us. In fact, you gave your son as a ransom that we might live. That's the ultimate service. And Lord, you teach us that if we're to to be Christians and to, to walk in the Lord, that we ought to imitate you. Lord, I pray that in this spirit of serving children, Lord, that you would speak to men right now. Lord, whatever the control issue is in our life, it's our prayer, Lord, that you'd speak to us regarding that and that you would help us to give you control over all those difficult areas to help us to develop self-control, Father, in the the ways we've mentioned. And, Father, to honor you by living lives overflowing with Christian character. Father, this decision time belongs to you. Guide the hearts and minds of men and women now. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's all stand.